0: Good morning. Uh, as a missions committee, we try as much as possible throughout the year to invite uh, speakers or representatives to our church uh, from the various ministries that our church supports. And this morning we're privileged to have Ray and Dorothy Wheeler with us. Uh, Ray is with Chil- Children's Camps International, they live in Winkler. He's the president, I understand. Uh, he has been here before, but it's a first for Dorsey to be here, so welcome here. Uh, some time ago uh, Susie and I were in a coffee shop in Winkler and and at the far end of the restaurant I see this guy sitting there and I I said to Susie, I think I know that guy I think that's Ray Wheeler so I went across and talked to him and asked him if he'd be willing to fill in for us and uh, he said, sure, I'll come to Clarney again, he's been here before and uh, so it's our privilege to welcome Ray Wheeler to speak to us God bless you as you come It uh, it indeed is a privilege to be back here. It's been almost two years, and to know that you as a church are standing with us as we try to impact the world for Jesus Christ. And so a huge, huge thank you to each one of you. It's just so good to know that, uh, you know, we do have people back here in the midst of the challenges and the obstacles that we do encounter, uh, to have uh, team members supporters, prayer warriors, and financial support uh, from out here. Give you a little bit of an overview uh, of who we are, and I do like to kind of start out with uh, what has become my theme verse, it's out of Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 2, it says Lord, uh, we have heard of your fame, we stand in awe of your deeds, do them again in our time. And so with that, just to share you of how we've seen God work, it is beyond our wildest imagination. Uh, I personally was at Wink Bible Camp as a director for 10 years, and uh, we saw God doing amazing, amazing things, and uh, we're very, Dorothy and I were very content being there. Things are going really well. And then God threw us a curveball, where he sent a young man from India to be a camp counselor. And there was just something about what we saw in his life, and his face, just changed us. And though we had no interest or plans of ever having anything to do with India, because all I knew about on the news was uh, uh, bony cows and some train wrecks and some typhoons and and hungry people. And I knew nothing else, or hardly anything else. And so to imagine that God was actually opening a door for us and calling us to do that... Was beyond anything we could have even planned or imagined. Um, since uh, I guess we started in 2003, we went out there for with, worked with five churches and had kids uh, camp for for uh, about 500 kids. And so that was in 2003, 2004. We did a little bit more, and then we realized that God had a clear calling, it was calling us to be starting a new ministry called Children's Camps International. And uh, since that time. We're now in seven different countries. We get invitations to thirty others, but we say for now no. no that we, there's there's lots of work to do where we are, and uh, in the last ten years, uh, reached uh, as of this week, uh, 1.2 million kids, working with almost 3,000 churches, indigenous churches every year, and it is very very simple. It's embarrassingly simple. You reach, you train the young people to reach the kids. The kids open the hearts of the parents. And so as a DNA of who we are, our calling as a ministry is to help the indigenous church grow and to do it in what we think is the easiest way possible. It was affirmed for me again this last, what, a month ago when a friend of mine uh, sent me uh, a little quote from D. L. Moody, and you know D. L. Moody is, yes, and he said, if I had my life in ministry to do over again, I would focus it entirely on children. And I understand why, because we as adults change is hard. Once we're entrenched in what we believe, it don't change too quick. We know that. Habits are hard to break. In a couple of scripture, uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says we need to be trans- transformed by the renewing of our mind. We need to change our thinking. And I like to take it even a step further. I like to say we need to be formed. And so with children, you starting with a clean slate. You can actually put things into their minds that they begin to believe, and then it continues to be affirmed as they go through life. And it forms their thinking, the idea of concrete if you leave it too long, it hardens up, and you got what you got, and it can be busted up. You can take your dynamite or your backhoes or your jackhammers, and you can work with it, but just imagine how easy it is when it's fresh, and you can mold it into who you, what you want it to be, and so it is with the hearts and lives and minds of kids, is to see it change right from the very, very beginning, and there are so many, many stories of what we see happening overseas. Uh, pastors saying we found a gold mine in our church it's the young people and when I saw the young people up here this this morning I mean certainly young compared to me uh, they're younger it's just so encouraging to see them up here leading in the worship here and though their styles might be not what some of you enjoy the best but just bless them bless them and encourage them it's just so cool to see because they will be carrying the torch not just in the future but even now already And we get to work with the young people, pastors saying the goldmine is the young people. Uh, They used to be spectators, but now they're actively, actively helping us grow our church. Initially, we had some challenges with getting the pastors on board because they thought, oh, they're going to come steal our young people. And we said, no, no, no. Our calling is to empower them, to mobilize them, to come alongside you as a pastor so that you can fulfill what God's called you to do. And some of them will be spun out there to be leaders in their own life, whether it's going to be leading small groups, whether it's going to be prayer cells, whether it's going to be in the church with the youth or with music or with skits, dramas, or whatever it is, those young people will be having active, actively involved in building the church. So what we do in the villages and the communities. First I'll tell you the seven countries we're in. India, uh, Cambodia, Kenya, the South Pacific Islands, uh, Cuba, uh, Mexico, well, Belize, and we're getting into Mexico right now. That's another open door. And when God arranges things in a unique way where it's so clear that He is opening the doors, that's when we like to go in. But we've got to make sure that we have invitations from the indigenous and the local church. And so... What we do is we want to reassure the pastors. That's what we want to call them to. We're called to help them grow, and we say bring the kids from within four or five blocks of where your church is, whether it's in the city or in a village, so that these kids can not only come to the camps where you can build this relationship with them and begin to this this process of helping to understand who Jesus Christ is. But even more so that you can, as the Great Commission says that often people leave out, is teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. It is about transformation. It is about change. It's about a lifetime of change. Yeah, um, you can come to Christ and you can do it instantly but maturity, maturity takes time and so that is our desire is to teach these kids week in and week out throughout the entire year so that we'll see legitimate change. Uh, One of our staff, Steve Zach Rice, who apparently was here for a missions evening or a missions weekend sometime, uh, he was out in Cambodia. He is now starting to take over the day-to-day stuff with Children's Camps International I'll be focusing more in the U.S. in the next uh, upcoming years. Uh, But Steve was out in Cambodia, and he shared a story about this youth event in Cambodia where they had the training, the youth leaders, uh, camp staff, and they were passionately, vibrantly singing inside this building. It spilling out into the streets, this loud, loud singing. And a young person in a country which is over 90% Buddhist, was walking by and he, he heard this beautiful singing and he stopped by and he listened and it just touched his heart deeply and he went and he could saw the joy and the love on the on the faces of these people just this overflowing joy and he had to know what it was that just filling them with such joy and he began to ask and they shared with him who Jesus Christ was and that young person knelt down and invited Jesus Christ into his heart and is wanting to have that journey with Jesus. In a country that is so just overwhelmed with Buddhism and the bondage that is happening over there. And so, those are the stories that we hear all the time. Uh, one story, got to read for you, just we heard a little while back here, uh, our leader in India, just to know that there is an impact that kids have on their families and on their parents and also the grandparents. And it's a, it's a little story from a, a, a man in India, he's 62 years old, his name is Vera. And he says, "I was born and raised as a Hindu. I was very, very de- devoted to my Hindu gods and to religious rituals. I thought that Hinduism is the religion of India, and Christianity was brought into India by British to enslave us. I was convinced that Christianity was wrong. When I was 20 years old, a Christian evangelist came to our village. My friends and I did not like him because he was trying to convert us to his religion." Many times I quarreled with him and I fought with him. A few people started responding to his message and they started to build a church. One night we went with torches and we burned the thatched roof church and all the Bibles that were in it. And this is how I lived my life. I was very opposed to Christianity. During the summer of 2012, I went to visit my grandchildren at their home. I found that they had attended a summer camp They shared Bible verses and lessons that they had learned from the camp. My grandsons were so filled with joy as they sang those camp songs. I did not understand, but I was so drawn into what they were singing. And when they shared the stories about Jesus, I started to open my heart and to listen. The pastor, Pastor David from the church, came to visit my family. Pastor David talked with me and prayed for my family. And when he prayed, I was moved to tears. It was then that I remembered what I had done 40 years ago. I opened my heart to Jesus. My wife and I got baptized in April of 2013. The pastor showed such love to my grandchildren that I was willing to finally listen to the message. 40 years ago, I burned Bibles. Today, I read the Bible, and I go with my pastor into the villages, handing out gospel tracts. 40 years ago, my friends and I burned the church, but right now, we're helping to build a church in this village Jesus is the one that gives me hope and I know he gives me eternal life please pray for me and my family and those are the stories we're privileged to hear all the time God is doing great things what we as a ministry did when we started out basically nobody had ever heard of us we figured well how do you get some crazy attention you talk about marketing well you know what Uh, there is a few times where you can actually get paid to do marketing you got to do something radical and crazy you got to do something that's not the norm and so we decided we would try and do something and be a harvest and at that time I'm sure most of you hopefully have heard about it 2006 we brought together 105 combines and cleaned off a quarter section of land in 11 minutes and 8 seconds and that was seen by about a million people whether it was through YouTube or blogs in the farming places it was absolutely amazing. In 2010, we had a staff on who wanted to try it again. It a ton of work, but we well, let's see what happens four years later. Uh, just on the edge of Winkler, we brought together 200 combines and had another harvest, and so it was about almost a half section that we combined, and uh, the record was basically, according to Guinness, it had to be five minutes of Uh, harvesters working simultaneously on one field would constitute the record and Guinness was there and they recognized it and in 2012 we have a staff member just north of Saskatoon in the Dalmany area and he said well harvest is in the DNA and the blood of the people in Saskatchewan we've got to do it out here and so in October of 2012 we went out there and I was absolutely blown away because of what we saw, the response in the community and the, and the words of encouragement we got ever since that were amazing. Uh, where people moved to tears as they saw this row of combines moving down that field. Uh, the pri- uh, premier of Saskatchewan visited our staff and he said, thank you for what you're doing. I know it's in, he's a believer, uh, Brad Wall, a strong believer. And he, and he really said, you guys are doing what what you know, you've meant so much to our province. When they heard about this, they had a tough year that year, but they rallied the people, and there was reconciliation within families at that. And uh, just got a picture two weeks ago, one of our committee members, his name is uh, Chad Dirksen, and a picture of the harvest book. I have a few of these with me, uh, if you're interested. Uh, he was in Ottawa at the Prime Minister's residence, and the picture is of him giving this harvest book, to the Prime Minister who's also a believer, and he gave it to every one of the caucus members. But the message is so much more than just taking a grain off of a field, it's the spiritual harvest. Can you just imagine if all of us as followers of Jesus Christ would find out what God is asking us to do? Every individual And if everyone was obedient to what he called us to do, don't worry about him, don't worry about her, do your part. Can you imagine how much less bickering, infighting, and criticism we have of the other people if we were so focused on what we're called to do? It'd be transformational. It'd be absolutely amazing that yes, we could take care of a harvest that he's called us to take care of in a heartbeat It would be beautiful. But therein lies the challenge. This morning, uh, thinking about the scripture that we are being transformed into his likeness. It's a journey that we're on. And I'll tell you this morning, uh, I I have to admit, I am preaching to myself as I am to any of you. Because I'm on this journey and I'm wired a certain way and and I don't always reflect the Lord's glory. And to understand the term glory, it's, it's sometimes, you know, in the English language, it can be fairly easily uh, described or understood. Uh, I heard a guy from Wycliffe share one Sunday morning into the language that he used, it takes almost a full page of writing up to understand that and to, re, to help people to, to grasp what that means. But to reflect his glory, Uh, In English, basically, it's a revelation of his character to help people to see what he looks like so that God shines to us, through us, to other people so that people can see what God looks like. And my goodness, I just feel so miserable. And yet, and yet, and I need to say this in the context here, friend of mine from Nashville Tennessee he says we're driving along and we're talking about this and he says you know it's so interesting my wife and I are so different when we sit in a service and I hear this message I see this perspective and sometimes I think it's a fabulous message but my wife feels condemned she feels guilt I feel inspired And so it is when you're sitting in a service like this and every one of us unique and we're we're shaped and molded by our experiences or about how we're wired or whatever it is and we hear different things. But the last thing I want to hear or see or have you understand and hear that there is condemnation because scripture says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I praise God and I thank God that he is patient with me, starting with me and with every one of us because we're not there yet we haven't arrived yet and if god was as impatient with me as i am sometimes with myself and other people we would all be in a huge amount of trouble because i got to work at it it was again this uh, last week uh, thursday in winnipeg we were driving down route 90 trying to get somewhere and there's about a two-mile lineup of traffic, and I'm saying, oh, I just can't stand it. No, I wasn't even in a hurry to get there, but I can't stand sitting in lineups. And we're driving, it takes forever to get this corner. And exactly the corner we were going to turn off, that's where the accident was. I only heard it that night that actually there had been a, a bank robbery, that happened on Roblin Boulevard and the guy had been flying through this intersection trying to get away from the cops and he smashed into somebody else and I thought my problem was big this guy's having some serious problems but that's what I'm talking about often we don't don't reflect God's glory very well his character so this morning I just I just know that God is patient but he is determined to change us. He will work on you relentlessly so that you'll look more and more like him so that people will see more and more of him in you. That is what he has come to do. And he wants to send us through experiences that are going to continue to grind away at those things that need to change and change is so incredibly difficult. You know, it's interesting, uh, and I uh, maybe wouldn't call parables, but Jesus spoke in parables because he wants you to remember the lesson. And uh, my memory is not the greatest. You can ask my wife about that. Uh, I'm, my mind is busy and it's focused on certain things, and she asked me to pick up something, and I usually have to phone her on the cell phone to ask her, what was that you wanted me to get? It's just kind of that way, and uh, she's very patient and gracious, uh, certainly compared to me, miles miles ahead of that. But it's interesting that sometimes when you get an illustration, and I was encouraged to spoke at a college and career at a church in Brandon about a month and a half, two months ago, and there's a young man came running up to me when he, when he walked to the door, and he says, I remember you when you were at Winkler Bible Camp. Would have been about ten or twelve years ago. And he said we had our last uh, staff, day of staff training, and you spoke. And I remember exactly what you said, because you brought your old green Subaru station wagon into the chapel. You drove it into the front, and there it sat. And he said you told us a story about how with that tr- vehicle, how it had s- all the problems with rust. And the story I shared there is that it looked good from a distance. One time Dorothy took it to the grocery store in Winkler and she heard this rattling when she turned around the corner and there was the mud flap sticking out sideways and she tugged it and it came off. Rust. Rust had done its nasty work underneath. And so I said, you know, that's kind of like sin. We're going fast enough, maybe you don't see it, or you don't get close enough, maybe we don't see it. but every one of us needs to ask, "Lord, what's going on underneath? What's going on down there? What needs to be ground away and repaired that only you can do in our lives?" And so they shared that illustration. I said, "You know what, Lord, thank you, because you go to these places and you, you share what's on your heart, Does not make a difference? Does anybody remember? When they go back home, they have, uh, you know, turn on the football game or the hockey game, and and it's distant, never to be remembered again. And you think, was it, futile? And yet, God has laid a burning on my heart to go continually, just continue to do the right thing, and trust that maybe in some way it's going to connect, it's going to attach to where you're at right now. That maybe, just maybe, it'll be a degree of shift closer to who he is. And so I want to share another story with with you, which in the first one, I, I was traveling down to Oklahoma City uh, with a couple of friends, one from Northwood, North Dakota. And we're talking, uh, as, as you may well know, some of the U.S., uh, certain rural parts, Midwest part. We're talking redneck country. And we're talking guys who who uh, live life uh, in the fast lane and crazy, try all kinds of stuff. And they... They just live it um, the way we used to live it. Actually, I like that. I would fit in in Texas. I would fit in in Alberta. Because I would be labeled, hopefully, a spiritual redneck. I like to try crazy stuff. And it doesn't all turn out. Uh, but as long as most of it does. And, uh, and, and the other part of it, I, you know, I weigh of two things. I says, I want to ri- uh, live risky and dangerous for God. I want to, you know, two things. I says, if God's calling, it is my heart right. So that I don't, I don't mess it up. I don't mess it up. And so those are my criteria. Lord, is this really something you want me to do? Because it really doesn't make a lot of sense. But if you want me to do, we'll try. And you know, do I do it for the right reasons? So it's just not drawing attention to myself, but it's something that can glorify God. And then I always like to add to that prayer is that God will do something so huge and so big and so wild and crazy that I can't, I can't take credit for it. It's got to be Him. It's got to be Him. And so we're traveling down uh, Oklahoma City, and he's telling me the story, and he's a bulk fuel dealer in Northwood, North Dakota. And um, he, uh, through their business, they do sell millions of dollars worth of fuel, including to the Army and everything else. And then the head office, corporate office, like to bring everybody together uh, once a year for a celebration, a banquet, or whatever they do, and to do something together just to have fun, get to know corporate and the uh, down-on-the-ground, boots-on-the-ground guys... And so they have this big event planned in South Dakota. They're going to go pheasant hunting. Well, my buddy loves pheasant hunting. This is right up his alley and all the rednecks. This is great. They do some other things that corporate likes to do. And this time they're going to go out and do what the grassroots guys like to do. And so they get to this place in in South Dakota. And here comes some of the corporate guys. And he said one guy in particular, he said he was late 30s, he said... He was kind of related to the owner of this big company here. And uh, you, know, you could tell that this guy had never had a speck of dirt under his fingernails in his life. Now, he's going to go pheasant hunting. He says, this is a little scary. But he said what the guy had done, he had gone to Cabela's. And when you work in a corporate, you've got a big salary. And so he walks in there and he says, I want to look like a hunter. And so he gets all the gear totally decked out with his earmuffs and a brand new gun and the, the, the whole uniform, and he looked like the absolute top-level hunter in this whole group. And he said there's about 17 or 18 of us. What they did is the company bought 400 pheasants, and they really... Oh, I hope there's nobody likes that, that is against hunting, but I'll tell you anyway. <laughs> anyway, they release them every so often in different parts, and they walk through this area that the grass is about, you know, to their waist or up to, almost up to their neck. And he says what they do is they turn these bird dogs loose... And these these dogs that go out there and they sniff them out, and he says the dogs have flags on them, and the flags is just above the grass, and so the hunters can see when the dog is weaving back and forth, and all of a sudden gets really really close to where the pheasants are, and then they stop dead, and I'm sure you've seen it before, and they stop dead just a few feet away from these pheasants, and the flag starts shaking because the dog is just ready to go, waiting for the command to get going. And so they do it every time. So here's this group of, you know, 17 or 18 hunters just ready when the flag stops is they're all ready to go at point they're going up there. And so they give the dog the command and the dog spooks and chases him in the air, and then everything goes crazy. He's banging and going around like crazy. And of course, the guys who knew how to hunt actually probably shoot the pheasants and the other guys think they shoot the pheasants. But this guy with the earmuffs on guy with the earmuffs on, they'd been doing this for about 45 minutes to an hour, they have been walking from place to place to place to place and here come the fence and bang and they shoot away and the guy's got a big grin on his face, he's having the time of his life and all of a sudden they're all going to take a break and take his earmuffs off and, and the guy's just smiling so he says to my buddy, he says, this is just fantastic but you, but you know what's so weird he says, everybody has to reload their guns but mine doesn't need reloading He had not fired one single shot. He had had the safety on his gun. He was convinced with all the noise that was going on that he himself was actually shooting his gun and he was thinking he was hitting pheasants when he had not fired a single shot. You know, when I I heard that story, one of the first things that came to my mind, a lot of Christians have the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives but they refuse to take the safety off my buddy Dave said the rest of the story he said okay I'm going to teach this guy a lesson so what he did he said you know here I'll show you how to do this he takes his safety off and he says well there's no feathers." he says, just take a shot in the air and then he said hold the gun about an inch away from your shoulder now, try it. And so the guy did, and it was one loud bang, and everybody's watching. And he said, This guy from corporate, he said, When that gun hit, he said, He was flat on his backside, his glasses that way, his hat that way. He was shocked. He could not believe the power that was right there in his hands. He couldn't imagine to believe it. But when he felt that power, he said, you know, that sure did hurt, but boy, was that fun. (laughs) And so I wonder how some of us sometimes could see God doing different things in our lives if we would take the safety off, if we would take risks and dare things for him. I just kind of wonder. Now... And I get into some interesting discussions and I don't make a big deal about it, whether it's here in North America or overseas and it's the where people have this opinion of the Holy Spirit and what He does and all those gifts. And you know, I say, just keep it simple. Keep it simple. Look at Galatians chapter 5. The clear evidence that you're living by the Spirit, whether the the gifts you want to go or you want to go, I can work with almost anybody, almost anybody. But we're talking about a fruit of the Spirit That is clear evidence about who is in control of your life. And when you go through those, and this is why I know I still got lots of work to do, when you think you've arrived, uh, it doesn't take long to read through that, and you start to realize, okay, God is still at work. He will still complete his journey with me until he takes me home, and while I'm here, I still got lots of work to do. And what I'll just quickly read through those, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love do I love like Jesus loved am I willing to lay down my life and I'm not saying maybe as a martyr dying physically but I'm saying living for others do we love people enough so that life isn't about me anymore Do I love people enough that I make them a priority in my life instead of myself? And I'll tell you, our culture and our society is screaming at us day in and day out. It's all about you. And the Bible relentlessly tells you, if you do it my way, you will experience joy, peace, patience. Gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control, joy. What wouldn't people give to have joy? People settle for a little bit of happiness; it's so temporary. But peace, enjoy the most. The wealthiest, most famous people in the world are yearning and craving for joy and for peace and they're looking for the most part in all the wrong places and they can't figure out why it isn't making sense. And so it's got to come back where scripture's at. It has to come back there because God made us. It's like he wrote the owner's manual. He says, do this and it's gonna work. Do this. It's gonna work. The Holy Spirit free to live inside of us For others to see. And it's like that story in Cambodia. When that young person walking by, he heard that beautiful singing. He was just drawn like a magnet to that. And when he saw the look on their faces, the joy that was in their hearts, on their faces... He was drawn to that. And Jesus said, if I be lifted up, and he meant his, what he did on the cross for us, the ultimate, absolute, ultimate expression of love ever laying down his life for us that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. That ultimate expression of love that he had for us. If we love others like he loved us, people will be drawn to him they will say, "What is it that makes you love me? What is it that allows you to have joy and peace when all around us there is no joy and peace? Drawn to the Savior, the treasure that St. Corinthians chapter four talks about, this treasure that often is so hidden. It's there, the gospel. Holy Spirit living inside of us. He's there, but it's hidden. It's, he's desiring to burst out, to be set free to touch the lives of others. I'm working at it. I've still got a long ways to go. All of us are on this journey. My challenge to you this morning is take the safety off. Allow the Holy Spirit today one decision after another, after another, after another. Die to yourself, your own selfish desires, and open yourself up to him. I hope you remember at least one thing from this morning. And that God will use that to move you a little bit closer to him so that you can reflect his glory even better. Father, I thank you for your incredible patience with each one of us and certainly starting with me right at home. And Lord, I know you're ready to help me in an instant, in a moment, when I ask you to help you and when I surrender that to you. Continue to work in my life and the lives of each one here. Thank you for the incredible things that you're already doing in and through them here in this community and also around the world. Would you bless them and affirm them and then gently move them a degree or two closer to you? Thank you, Jesus, for your patience. We do love you and want to commit our lives to serving you and to truly truly bring glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.